you know, you've got to, you just, every day you're just left going, what on earth is going on? You may have seen this morning, or I think it actually started yesterday. Um, uh, okay, yeah, yeah, I'll get to, uh, it, there's a bunch of folks that have requests in for programs and stuff. Once I, once again on the road, I'll be trying to fill in evenings and doing some stuff like that. Um, but but uh, Bruce Jenner, uh, having said that, probably means we can't post this on Facebook. Um, but uh, those of us who live in the real world <clears throat> and who were alive during the Olympics in the 1970s um, and hence do not want to deny uh, the past and reality and history and stuff like that, I mean... Is the guy who won the gold medal in the uh, decathlon um, is is he still alive? Uh, you, know, you know, I mean. Anyways, the person formerly known as Bruce Jenner, uh, you know, saying that uh, California AB nine fifty seven, which is a very very important issue, um, it's. Amazing when California is behind other states in progressive leftist insanity. But uh, Jenner's saying, you know, uh, AB 957 is is horrifying government overreach. Um, uh, Parents are losing their young child being transitioned by another parent after the parent's divorce. Um, You know, we've seen this in Texas but now they're trying to put make it a law in California that basically if you have a custody situation, um, the parent that buys into the absurdity of the gender ideology, and again, I suppose young people think this is the way people have always thought. They don't recognize how new and naive and childish all of this is and how opposed to reality and history and everything else aside from it being just blatant rejection of the creator's right to define his own creation um but these laws that are being proposed you know it's it's fine for bruce jenner to say i'm a conservative i i I don't think that we should be doing this it's like sir you're also a grandfather. You're a grandfather. You didn't become a grandmother. You can't just decide, I'm, I'm a grandmother. Um, you have to earn that. There, there is a covenant. There is a relationship that is involved in being a grandfather and a grandmother. And you can't be a grandfather one day and the next day go, hey, guess what? To make me feel better, to fulfill my sexual fantasies and my view of myself, I'm now your grandmother. And then turn around and complain about government overreach in this area. You greased the skids for this. When you appear on what what was the Vanity Fair or whatever it was in your lady makeup, um, you don't think you weren't a part of making this normalized in the United States? Sorry, 
you got, you, you know, if, if you re- are really serious about this, then put a suit and tie on, cut your hair, um, readopt the the name you were given when you were born and say, this is insanity. That's what you need to do. Um, till then, you've, you've just got, <laughs> sorry, you got nothing. You got nothing. And once again, I just got to say, Chris Honholtz, uh, when Chris decides to sit down and write out his thoughts about something, you know, he's wrong about the elf stuff. We all know that. Um, and, and so everybody has their one area of where they just dig in their, their heels and stuff. But on all sorts of other stuff, um, he's, he's a sharp, sharp cookie. And someday, you know, what's going to happen? Here's my prediction. Uh, you know, I, I hope it doesn't happen soon, but, you know, probably something's going to happen with old Chris. He's going to have to be in the hospital for a while. And, you know, I remember in 2016, I, I had to be in the hospital for a few days and it wasn't pleasant. Uh, and that TV's on and it's about your only friend. And what, what's going to happen is uh, he's going to be like in one of those. You know when they they put you in what they call twilight. You know you're not really out, but you're, and Elf's gonna come on, and so he's gonna have to listen to the whole thing. But nothing you can do, <laughs> and then it's all over because then he'll realize oh, that was that was actually a, a cute story, and that was sort of funny, and and boy, I really didn't need to end up with three different full size Elf cutouts. <laughs> my house just because I was sticking I was putting my yeah you know. anyway I'm actually trying to say he he uh, wrote a really good uh thread on Twitter about the um Bruce Jenner stuff and again I I think he used the proper pronouns and did you notice I listened to the briefing this morning what just happened Rich what just happened It's 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 like the world just faded out. Uh, I'm not. It, Rich is playing with things, and when Rich plays with things, things can get really weird. So um, sorry. Um, but uh, on the briefing this morning, and I've noticed it for a couple days now. Um, when he made reference to William Thomas, the swimmer, who I will not call Leah Thomas because that's it's a denial of. God's creative lordship over mankind. It's it's a it is a I have joined the, the to be nice to you I will join your delusion type thing. And that's not being nice to anybody. That's it's foolishness. But I I noticed that um he said the individual who identifies as Leah Thomas and uh I I think it's probably because in the past he has read some articles and it drives me crazy when alleged conservatives just to get by go ahead and join the delusion. Um it, it's it yeah it, it it's really really bothersome. Uh <clears throat> but uh, all of these it, Twitter is the only place we can get away with it. We can actually speak according to reality. Um, we are literally at 
the point in Western culture where in the majority of the avenues by which you can address what's going on in society, you will be shut down and censored if you do not simply do newspeak. Because that's what it is. Let's call it what it is. This is newspeak. And again, if you haven't read 1984 yet, what's wrong with you? I mean, haven't you heard those of us who have going, how did he get all this right? Doesn't it at all interest you to read a, a book from the late 40s, I believe? I think it was published in the 50s, but it was written in the late 40s, if I recall. Or it might have been published in the late 40s, now I think about it. Anyways, long time ago. Doesn't it fascinate you that, that someone saw all this coming? Whether it's 1984, Brave New World, Fahrenheit 451, uh, This Perfect Day, uh, all of these dystopian novels that are coming true right in front of our eyes, almost like they're being used as a playbook. Um, but 1984 especially focused on a key element that many of the others did not. And that is the centrality of language. You had what was called Newspeak. And Newspeak sought to uh, get rid of excess words. Words that could be used to describe beauty. All the different... And I've, I've, <laughs> I've got to admit, we might have a few too many words for colors. <laughs> um... Because half the time, you know, my wife will say, that's mauve. And I go, well, that's marvelous. <laughs> I don't even know. I wouldn't even know how to identify. Who knows? But Newspeak was meant to serve the state. It was meant to communicate um, what the state wanted you to think. And it kept changing. As the state kept changing, as the narrative kept changing, and that's what we're facing today. That's what Google does today. Google today uses Newspeak, and Newspeak is, you call Bruce Jenner, the guy who won the gold medal in the decathlon that I was rooting for. From my front room, what? find out what year it was. It 74? 76, okay. Well, that may have been why it was so big, because it was the bicentennial year, too. Right. Okay. Yeah, Mark Spitz. Have you seen him selling old people stuff? Mark Spitz. Yeah. Did it remind you about how old we are now? You were 11. Okay. All right. Fine. Um, anyway, yeah. Uh, Mark Spitz. Hey, until just recently, he had all the all the records along that, that, that line. And then um, this other guy who, again, how absolutely absurd would it be? What was the other, what was the new guy? I know. I know, I know. Um 
he won so many gold medals it wasn't even funny. He was just so fast, so so powerful. And you look at the yeah, Phelps. You look at the wingspan on these guys. I mean, those arms are just I mean, they they look like they could puff up and fly. I mean, it's just it, it's astonishing. Can you imagine how absurd it would be? You know, he's done now. He's retired. But if he came back as a woman, even now, at his age, there isn't a woman alive that could get within a lap of him. And you know it. Yeah, I think the same thing would happen with Michael Phelps. That's what I just said. You didn't. I wasn't talking about Spitz. <laughs> I wasn't talking about Spitz. No. I know, I'm making it funny. Sorry, no, you know, no. It's like that Michael Jordan joke about whether or not he could beat LeBron. And he said maybe by a couple of points. And they're like, really, only by a couple of points? He says, well, I'm over 60. Right, yeah, I know. Yeah, could 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 the Bulls have beaten, you know, modern teams? Like, well, by a couple of points. By a couple of points, yeah, well, we're all, we're all over 60 now. And yeah, that was a good, very good response. Anyway, can you imagine the absurdity of that? Because he could do it. If he came back as a woman right now, even though he's retired, there isn't a single female body that could keep up with him. Nope, couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. And everybody knows it. So the absurdity of that, uh, that's what that's what we're facing. And every once in a while you see these, um, these poor people, you know, um, there's that one senator who's just he's he honestly he he looks like he walked off the set of Green Acres. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's different. It's different Kennedy than the other other guy. Oh, very yes, yes. And could you I put a straw hat on him a straw stick? Put him in in in. Overalls and and have him rocking on the oh man he would be he'd be Mr Haney he he could be Mr Haney that's right let's see I can remember Mr Haney why why is this why is everybody getting to watch you and I get old uh, on on YouTube we never thought thought this would happen anyway <clears throat> sorry um, he was <laughs> he was asking questions of some people about this. And, uh, you know, we have that young, that beautiful young uh, swimming, swimmer lady, Riley Gaines, I think is the name. Um, I'm sorry? Well, she's really smart. And, of course, she has a great story because she was there. She had to experience all this stuff with um, that guy. Um no, I'm, I'm not. No, don't. There was a reason why I wasn't doing that. Um, <coughs> and he, but there's some other woman testifying. And when you press these people, it is just so embarrassing to listen to them doing mental gymnastics. It it's amazing. Anyway, um, two things real quick, and then we got to. Talk about Colossians 2.12 and stuff like that. Um, <clears throat> I, I realize that 
article titles, book titles aren't necessarily um, assigned by authors. I've had, I've written articles and submitted them to various publications, and then I see it published, and I'm like, <laughs> I didn't come up with that title. I don't know who did, and nobody asked me about it one way or the other. But gender cultists make a move for California's children. This is from Compact Magazine. And what caught my eye about it, other than how important the subject is, is it was written by Abigail Schreier. Now, Abigail Schreier wrote Irreparable Damage. Irreparable Harm. One of the two. Anyway, um, that's a book that I read years ago now. And I've recommended it to everybody else. And I'm sure she could only make it much longer and more in-depth now than just a few years ago. Because there are many more detransitioners out there going, what on earth did you people do to me? I was only stinking 13. Uh, <clears throat> which is true. I-, I would love to see a tidal wave of lawsuits uh, coming at all, every single person in the quote-unquote medical community who is involved in mutilating the bodies of children. Uh, I would love to see them all bankrupted. In a just society, we'd be running out of tree limbs right now. We really would be. Um, but that's not, that's not the situation. But if Abigail Schreier is saying gender cultists, because she tried to be, she's not a Christian, she's Jewish, and she really tried to be as journalistic as possible in her book. And I think the years since it's come out, the way she's been treated, the way she's been attacked, the way she's seen that, hey, these people aren't concerned about health, or anything like that. They, the only concern they have is money. Money and power. Um, they're making money, and they're destroying the cultural fabric and very understanding of humanity that has made the West what it once was, which it isn't um, any longer, uh, unfortunately. So, <clears throat> she's written an article... Compact Magazine, Gender Cultists Make a Move for California's Children. And this is on the issue, uh, this is AB 957 again, directs family court judges to award custody based in part on, quote, a parent's affirmation of a child's gender identity, end quote, which the bill defines as intrinsic to the, quote, health, safety, and welfare of the child, end quote. This is putting the utter insanity of gender ideology, which is, it is insanity. It is immoral. It is unethical. It, it is childish. It is destructive. There is no room for saying this is one valid view amongst many valid views. No. None whatsoever. That's AB 957, and this is happening at the same time that we have a federal judge, and again, If God wants to judge a people, he gives them unrighteous judges. Our legal schools have been taken over by Marxist ideology, by a godless, secular naturalism, 
for decades. So we should not be at all surprised that we will get decision after decision after decision that will end up at the Supreme Court because the decisions are not based upon any kind of reading of the Constitution in an, in, in a meaningful fashion, obviously. Progressivists think that's the last thing in the world you should do. But they'll all end up at the Supreme Court, and eventually you steal enough elections and you use the university system and the public school system to create enough utterly unformed individuals. What I mean by unformed? You have to form a system of morality and ethics based upon your worldview. Based upon how you understand what man is, what the world is, is there purpose, is there not purpose. You know, I've, I've actually had people complain that we... That, you shouldn't use the term worldview because uh, that has this connection and that connection. Look, it's it's a simple fact that we have to be able to discuss how men and women view themselves and the world around them and how all this relates to God. Whether there is a purpose or anything else, there was a worldview that, that was at the foundation of the writing of the Constitution of the United States. There is a worldview that formed the common law in the United Kingdom. All of these things are givens. They're not even, they're not even arguable. It's just a fact. And so worldview is a perfectly good term to utilize to ask the question, what does this person think about themselves, the world around them, their creator, or is there no creator at all? These determine everything. And we are formed morally and ethically on the basis of the application of the higher levels of our worldview. Now, if you start with man and there is nothing higher than man, then you can't have anything above man. And that's one of the main problems we're facing today. We see that all around us. So, these uh, judges... They don't have a worldview that is even slightly commensurate with that of the Constitution. And so we have a federal judge who has struck down the Arkansas duly established law, uh, passed over the governor's veto, hence by a large majority, um, banning the mutilation of children. And that judge is doing is not judging on the basis of the constitution or something like that that judge is doing what AB 957 does we are going to take this ideology we are going to take this absurd self-destructive transgenderism and we are going to cram it into law even when the law is saying the opposite, we're going to cram it in there anyways. That's what, that's what they're doing. That's, that's what's going on here. And this judge has made the, the claim that this type of medical intervention is necessary and helpful and healthy and all the rest of this stuff. And I just want to sit there and go, okay, all right, you want to say that? Show me the 20 
30 and 40 year safety studies on the effect of Lupron. You give you give a 10-year-old kid Lupron to stop the onset of puberty, the natural development. We know what Lupron does. Uh, I saw an uh, article just this morning about the impact of Lupron. Shuts down so many key developmental systems of the body. Mental, bones, bodily systems, hypothalamus. You are absolutely sentencing this child to a life, a diminished life of being a medical patient. Oh, medical patient. Huh. I wonder if they'll, if the insurance companies will be forced to pay for all of that. I wonder who'll make money off of all of this. You are sentencing these children to a life of unhealth disease. Can you tell me that you know the impact of Lupron in regards to cancer? No, you can't. But here we have an idiot an immoral pygmy saying, oh, we know it's safe and it's healthy and and it is absolutely astonishing that these people can even look at themselves in the mirror in the morning. The things that they are doing to children in our own country. This is the country that defeated the Nazis. And look what we're doing. And should it surprise us all that much, given how many millions and millions and millions of innocent children have been murdered in the womb? If the life there doesn't have any value, hey! And then the thing in Boston, I don't know if you've read about that. (laughs) They, firefighters respond to a call and they go into public housing, into an apartment in public housing. They find a dead body in an absolute filthy apartment. And about seven or eight biological males dressed as drag queens in the apartment. And when they push far enough, they find out they're hiding a whole group of five to ten-year-olds in a back bedroom that they won't tell them about. I'm sure everything was just fine there. Because we know there's no sexual perversity with drag queens. And here's where we are now. We don't have a Justice Department anymore in the United States. Once the people who are supposed to prosecute the laws, become themselves committed to a worldview that hates God and hates his world. Um, We're already seeing it, aren't we? One set of rules for those. If you're in the party, those are your rules, and you're good. If you're not in the party, these are your rules, and there's no way around it. There's not going to be any justice for you anyways. We're just going to put you away. 1984 all over again, 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 and again. So you've got the California gender cultists, and then at the same time, 
in Michigan. Um, proposed hate speech law in Michigan threatens First Amendment rights, conservatives warn. Well, yeah, good. good. A bill moving through the Democrat-controlled Michigan State Legislature, again, monoparty, once you have one party, they're just... Uh, would make it easier for prosecutors to bring felonious hate crime charges against dissident speech. I know a lot of people will go, oh, don't even worry about this. We know this is in violation of the Constitution. It's going to be struck down. And I just keep going, how, how long do you think this is going to last? How long do you think that that thin, thin, thin barrier of one justice who's getting older is going to last? Because as long as you keep stealing elections, you're eventually going to be able to pack the court. Whether you have nine justices or 90, it doesn't matter. You're going to be able to do it, and it's not going to take long. We're talking years here. Maybe months. The possible implications for preachers, school administrators, teachers, parents, politicians, and citizen activists have alarmed conservatives concerned about the effect the bill may have on free speech. The proposed legislation, HB 4474, would amend the state's Ethnic Intimidation Act of 1988 in order to consider it a hate crime if a person is accused of causing severe mental anguish to another individual by means of perceived verbal intimidation or harassment. Just think about who we're talking about here. Think about the people that are enforcing these laws. This entire program would be considered verbal intimidation or harassment because we're talking about morals and ethics on an objective level. And if you're a person that rejects the objectivity of morality or ethics, that could be very intimidating and it might make you scared and you might have to go to your safe space. And so Big Brother will come along and save you. The amendment defines the words intimidate or harass as a willful course of conduct involving repeated or continued harassment of another individual that would cause a reasonable individual to feel terrorized, frightened, intimidated, threatened, harassed, or molested. What what does what does a reasonable individual mean? Whatever the judge wants that to mean. Whatever the judge wants that to mean. Uh, Vague and subjective standard. Yes, exactly. That's exactly what it is. Under the proposed statute, intimidate and harass can mean whatever the victim or the authorities want them to mean. The focus is on how the victim feels rather than a clearly defined criminal act. This is a ridiculously vague and subjective standard, and that was the uh, words of David, Attorney David Coleman, the Great Lakes Justice Center. So, yeah, Michigan. It's, it's like these leftist states are just trying to outdo each other. Uh, Washington gives the state the power to take your kids away. Ah, California's got to get there and do it, do it even bigger and better. And So Michigan comes along, hey, watch what we can do. We can get rid of the First Amendment real fast. And that's exactly what they're what they're doing. That's the situation we face in the world today. All right, let's uh, shift over here. Um, 
It's interesting to me when I when I first saw this, and I, again, I'm sorry, it was been almost two weeks, and other stuff got in the way. Um, uh oh, did someone uh, did someone inform Chris? Um, yep, yep. <laughs> Chris is listening, <clears throat> so Chris is now very worried that. Uh, He's going to end up in the hospital someday, and his friends, his friends will come in and turn the TV on and steal the remote. <laughs> so he has to watch Elf. <laughs> uh, you know, given some of the drugs they give you these days, you might really enjoy it much better. <laughs> you never, you never know. I mean, it, it could help. We're just trying to be positive here. Anyway. Uh, Colossians 2.12, look, this is, when when I saw this somewhere, again, somewhere on Twitter, and, and I saw Calvinists can't answer Colossians 2.12, and I'm like, uh, when I hear that, you know, it's like when you hear James 2.20, you know, you just... You automatically know what the general, you're, you're probably talking to a Mormon, and we're going to be talking about justification, and we're going to have to explain justification before men, justification before God. You know, there's, there's just, you know, there's all this stuff starts popping into your, into your mind. And honestly, until now, the only thing that popped into my mind when Colossians 2.12 was mentioned is the fact that me and my Presbyterian brothers... Uh, disagree on the application of this text because uh, John Calvin considered this central to his identification of baptism and circumcision. The connection between circumcision of the Old Covenant and baptism of the New Covenant in a Calvinistic understanding of paedo-baptism, this is, this is one of the very key texts. You will find it being used by a large majority of the um, uh, paedo-baptists on Facebook or wherever else. You, you follow, a, you follow a, a thread from paedo-baptists. Colossians 2.12 is going to come up. It really is. And so I'm like, how can that be something that Calvinists can't answer because it's normally Calvinists that are arguing on two different sides of the paedo-baptism issue, and I've never heard Leighton Flowers do anything about paedo-baptism at all. So I watched the video to figure it out. So let us let me just remind us of the text, and I'll, I'll play a minute or so of the video so you get the idea of what the argument is. Uh, so again... Uh, We've just had, you know, for in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, Colossians 2.9. In him you have, been, you have been filled, who is the head over all rule and authority, in whom you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. So in whom, oh, okay. Um, in whom you were also circumcised with a circumcision 
made without hands in the removal of the body, the flesh, in the circumcision of Christ. So, it's really 2, 11, and 12, because the, the controversy that we have here in between Reformed Baptists and Presbyterians is the connection that is made. You have in the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him, through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. So there, having been buried with him in baptism. So you've got circumcision in in 11, and then you have being buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And so... There is this Old Covenant concept of circumcision and the New Covenant concept of baptism. And so you you say the one functions in the New Covenant the way that, not completely, because obviously male-female issues come up, but it functions as a sign. And the Old Covenant sign becomes the New Covenant sign in baptism. The Old Covenant sign was given to, well, again, only a certain portion of infants. Um, But we push all that aside and say, no, the connection's there. Now, I did a sermon on this section, I don't know, eight, nine months ago, maybe, Maybe a little more. I, I, I'd have to go back and look. I'd apologize. It's part of the baptism series. If you want to get something a little bit more. Um, but let's try to follow this first. And Well, nah, 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 nah. Let's, let's go ahead and uh, let's just play this and then we, we can go, go back to it. Oh, uh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I don't know where this is going to go. Nope. It needs to go there. So hopefully now you'll get the audio. We will see in a minute. Right. Do you believe that one, you know, we're talking about regeneration preceding faith. So do you believe one is raised to new life so as to have faith? Yes. Okay. But in Colossians 2.12, it says you were raised with him through your faith. So it sounds like through faith means that's the instrumental means by which we're raised with Christ. How do you explain something like that? And I'll give you a, a second to open it up if you need to. Okay, so so here's here's the argument. Um, if I understand what was just said, um, the argument is that when we look at having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God. So it seems that Leighton is turning this into an ordo salutis uh, text, a order of salvation, and saying, see, you were raised up with him, and so he's making that regeneration, rather than being raised up in baptism. So this raising up is becomes right regeneration. Um, and so, it says, through your faith, well, it... it it's just diates pistaos, and it's through 
faith in the working of God, the one who raised him from the dead. So I, I, I guess the argument is that raised up here is regeneration, and so faith has to be before regeneration to make this work in Colossians 2.12. I guess that's what the argument is. So, <clears throat> there's, there's the latent Flowers argument. <clears throat> Back to the text. In whom you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. What is that? What is that? Now, I don't know what Leighton Flowers thinks that is. I've not seen, you know, maybe somewhere he has some two and a half hour long, four hour long uh, discussion of Colossians 2. I don't know. Um, maybe that's why he does shorts now. Uh, does the short little short things. Let's see, I can do something in less than two and a half hours. But I'm not sure how non-reformed people understand Colossians 2.11. In whom you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. In the removal of the body of the flesh in the circumcision of Christ. What is that? What, what's being referred to here? And who's accomplishing it? It seems like it's a divine act. It is the circumcision of Christ, hence it is not made with hands. So it's not the physical act of circumcision. This is regeneration. It's the removal of the body of the flesh. And it is in Christ that you receive this. And only in Christ. And it's not something you did to yourself. It's not something you allowed to be done to yourself. It is something that's done to you. You were also circumcised. So here's your... This is an heiress passive. You were circumcised with a circumcision without hands. So what, what is that? That's the work of God. That's, that's a divine work. It has nothing to do with faith. It's not dependent upon some act of man. It's not, it's not something you, your free will cooked up. This is a description. If you are a believer, if you're one of those who are described here in verse 10, in him you have been filled, you have been made full, who is the head over all rule and authority. If you're one of those folks, then you, this, is, this is what makes all believers equal with one another. Is that they have experienced this divine act of the circumcision of Christ, the removal of the body of the flesh. What, what does that mean? Well, again, fleshly body in the sense of that corrupt nature, this is something that God does. And having been buried with him in baptism. Does baptism precede faith? And if we're going to try to turn this into an Ordo Salutis text. Because what he's doing now is he's taken the spiritual reality of the circumcision of Christ, which you have the, he's using the old covenant language there, which is interesting that you have 
ente per tome tu Christu. I mean, that's not language you're going to find in the Old Covenant. But in its fulfillment, the circumcision of Christ, it's something that Christ accomplishes. And the picture we have of that is that we have been buried with him in baptism. So if we're going to try to say, oh, this is all, this is all meant to... this," you, know, you got the golden chain where you specifically have the argument being made God did this, 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 and the result is this. It's meant to be taken that way. You can't take it any other way. This is a different subject being presented here, but we will take uh, Leighton's word for it and say, okay, this is an Ordo Salutis passage. Okay. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith and working of God. So... Baptism came before faith, right? So I'm sure that Leighton Flowers is baptizing unbelieving people all the time, right? And if we're going to make it an Ordo Salutis passage, right? Yeah, it doesn't work, does it? No. Instead, he switches, Paul switches, from the Old Covenant language of circumcision. And now, what is the New Covenant fulfillment of circumcision? It's regeneration. It's not baptism. It's not physical baptism. Physical baptism is simply the picture. It's the picture of the circumcision of Christ. What Christ does in removing the body of the flesh, in how he's, you know, look, look at how it then is it's fleshed out. And you being dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him, having graciously forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt, consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, he has also taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. That's all Christ's work. And as normal, as is so often the case, what you have in the, con- in, in the conflict here are the synergists, starting with man, and trying to go upward from there, rather than seeing texts like this that are all about Christ and what Christ has accomplished and how there is a unity in the body at Colossae because they are all the recipients of this work of Christ, this circumcision of Christ. So their baptism then becomes a picture of this spiritual reality. So while we are baptized in the water... That's a picture of what? Our having been united with Christ in his death, in his burial, and then in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So, when we come out of the water, when when we go into the water, we are symbolizing that we are going to be laying down that old life, that that's already what has happened. And so we are buried with him. But every person I've ever baptized, and I've baptized a lot of folks, and not all of them proved to be um, faithful to the end, shall we say. I can't look into their hearts when I baptize them. 
I ask them certain questions. They give certain answers. The complexity of the questions will be dependent upon the age of the individual, obviously. Um, But I can't look into their hearts. But every single one of them that I've baptized had to exercise faith that I was going to pull them back up out of the water. That I wasn't going to leave them down there to bubble, as uh, as they like to say. And so you are you are exercising an element of faith in being buried that there is going to be what? The working of God in raising you back up. So when you're saying, I am trusting Christ, there is a picture of that in baptism. There is, there is both the picture of, I'm dying, but then the resurrection life doesn't come from me. I'm not raising myself back up. I'm being raised by another. So I've been united with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. And that is a statement of faith on my part. Living, the real living faith, but it's it's faith in the working of God. And what was the working of God? The circumcision of Christ. Removing my, my body of, my dead fleshly body. So the only, the only faith here that is mentioned is, is my faith in the working of God. Now, maybe, maybe it's possible that Leighton actually believes that it is my faith that allows God to work. That would fit probably with the synergist. Rather than the picture of baptism, of being lifted up by another, the synergist could really put faith into somehow you're lifting yourself up, I suppose. I, I, I don't know. God granted him permission to, to raise him from the dead, I guess. Yeah, I suppose that's possible. But that doesn't make that really doesn't make any sense, obviously. There is nothing about the faith here being the mechanism that allows God to do something. We, we are proclaiming our faith when we are baptized. We are saying, I believe in Jesus Christ. So we are, but, but the, the, the physical act is meant to picture the spiritual reality that was already laid out in verse 11 and would be explained even more, the foundation of it, in verses 13 and 14. So to turn all of this, first of all, turn all of this into an order salutis passage doesn't make any sense. Secondly, the only thing that faith is speaking of here is not through my faith, but through faith in the working of God. And that working of God has already been defined as the circumcision of Christ, which is the removal of the body of the flesh. And the mechanism of that is that, well, you being dead, isn't it amazing? (laughs) Isn't it amazing that you can take a text that and, and point to verse 12 and say, see, your faith, your faith is what leads to your being raised up. And that's right before verse 13. And you being dead in your transgressions 
and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him. By your free act of faith. (laughs) It's not there, but when you are absolutely wedded to the centrality of man, to the controlling uh, power of man, then you find it. You, you, you just stick it in there. It's like what they do to John 6, you know? Stick stuff in there that needs to be there. You being dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh. And what, what happened to that flesh? Circumcision of Christ. He, he's removed that. Pictured in baptism. He made you alive together with him. Are you, is it seriously being suggested that, well, he made you alive with him because you were choice meats and you were more humble than others, and so you positively responded to the gospel message and enabled him to make you alive with him? But again, we respond positively to the gospel message, but why do we? That's the whole issue. Why do we? And it all boils down to, in this situation, what we're dealing with here, in this situation, is it from the synergistic perspective? Why do you and not somebody else? Because you are more spiritually sensitive. You are more humble. And if spiritual sensitivity and humility are good things, you're better than somebody else. They can, they can sit and try everything they can to get away with it, get out of it. But to answer the question, why one and not the other? Why two people sitting there hearing the same message? One rebels, one accepts. Choice me, not choice me. Humble, not humble. So he made you alive with him, having graciously forgiven us all our transgressions. That's, that is the graciousness of sovereign salvation. And it does not for a second make my faith an irrelevancy. And you say, well, but if, if, if God has to enable you, God has to enable all of us for everything. It doesn't make it irrelevant. He canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile us. He has also taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. And so I have to ask, again, for our universal atonement proponents, you have to believe that this is true of everyone. And so where do you make the break? Because if you're, if you're saying that God has, and you being dead in your transgressions is everybody, then circumcision in your flesh is everybody. And having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which is hostile to us, is everybody. He is also taken out of the way, having nailed to the cross, is everybody. Then you have to say, he made you alive with him, is everybody. And having graciously forgiven us all our transgressions, is everybody. And you are a universalist. And there are lots of universalists out there. And that's exactly how they understand the text. 
Most of you have never run into a universalist. And most people who call themselves universalists, especially the universalist, Unitarian church, all the rest of that stuff, they're, they don't care about any of this stuff. But there are conservative universalists that actually think it's important that you look at what the Bible has to say. And that's how they argue this. That's exactly how they argue this. So the universalists can be consistent, the Calvinists can be consistent, but the synergist has to go, beep, 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 has to play pong. Bing, bing, bing. I can go there and go there. It's just, you can't walk through it, just like you can't walk through John 6 and John 8 and John 10 and Ephesians 1 and Romans 9. <laughs> All those types of things there as well. So, uh, Colossians 2 is a tremendous text. And and again, my response to my paedo-baptist brethren is what you're missing is the it's not bapt, it's not physical baptism that is the corollary to circumcision. It's regeneration. It's what Christ does in removing that body of the flesh. Circumcision of Christ. That's the important part of it, at least amongst us Reformed folks. But when you see someone saying, well, Calvinists can't answer Colossians 2.11, you, you can pretty well guess that some kind of set of presuppositions are being factored in uh, from the back door, shall we say. And um, they don't they don't work too well. So, there you go. We I, I promised that I would get to it, and I put it off for a while. I apologize for having had to do that. So, as we wrap up our last um, program in this studio for, I think, almost, I think it's going to be like five weeks. 33-day trip, uh, including ELY, Minnesota. Um, but uh, your prayers for safe travel would be very much very much appreciated um that's a that's a lot of lot of driving uh i figure i've got good 11 12,000 miles worth of pulling to do by the end of this year so that's a lot of time out there playing bumper cars with uh with the truckers and and everything else uh but that also means that lord willing Tuesday evening, well, Tuesday at some point, uh, we will be doing our first program from the mobile studio. I have to tell you that I pulled all of that beautiful rock background off the wall um, and crumpled it all up and sent it to the city dump. Um I'm going to really do my best to have the new part of it up uh, and hopefully not falling off the wall uh, by the time we do the first dividing line. Obviously, things could get in the way, and if it's just the plain old wall back there, the light, world's not going to end. Rich would probably appreciate it because I, then I probably wouldn't have the light on, and so he'd be very happy, and he'd be playing with stuff in the background and doing things like that. But I think I should have the time because it's it's in strips. So if you've done this before, you know what it takes to have it look 
right. It, it takes work. And if I'm going to be using this new spray stuff to where it'll stay on, the concern is once you stick it, you only have a little while to be able to move it. And, it, you know, if you haven't done it before, it can be a frustrating experience. <laughs> it really can be. But uh, I'll, do my, I'll do my best to get it done, uh, get it done well. And uh, like I said, looking forward to doing the programs. Rich was in the unit, I don't know how many hours yesterday, about eight, something like that. Um, and it's not like we changed a whole lot. We just hopefully improved setup speed. We did add a, a, a second light um, to, the, to, to the setup and uh, things like that and change a few things around and just try to make it hopefully function a little bit better. Did some testing. Uh, Starlink is really working for us, but again, sometimes you park an RV where you can't use Starlink. Uh, it just that there's not enough sky um, to be able to use it, and so. Um, but when it's working, it, it works well. It really does. So uh, I know that the place that I'll be staying for the first few days, not a tree in sight. <laughs> so so it shouldn't be. Shouldn't be an issue. Uh, of course, uh, Rich has said more than once that the, uh, the the stuff says, hey, the best place is on the top of your RV. I'm not sure that I can see myself shimmying up that ladder, carrying that uh, carrying that thing and trying to get it up to the top and setting it up there. And, you know, I'd really have to want to get a program in <laughs> to do it that way. I really, really would. Because then I have to go back up and get it later. I suppose I could just... yeah so uh anyway all right so uh lord willing coming coming back on tuesday in a different context as we're heading up don't forget the uh, conference in littleton it's on the front page of the website uh let your folks your friends up there know about that and uh, we'll be getting together with folks looking forward to it we'll see you lord willing next week god bless